Welcome to Pretty Funny Business, the playground brand we were forced to create in order to corral our founders' nonsensical ideas and general tomfoolery. From the founders of, but not generally endorsed by, Emmy Collective. From this podcast, you can expect off-the-cuff banter on feminism, funny business, and, well, not-so-funny business. Join us out of curiosity, stay for the hot takes and dad jokes. Hello and welcome to the Pretty Funny Business Podcast. I'm Sydney Mulligan. I'm Lauren Aquilino. And today we have the world's most interesting man on the podcast. I don't know if he knows this about himself. It's one thing I would like to talk about. Jeff. Jeff, I meant to uh, make sure I knew how to say your last name. I was going to say, are you just going to call him Jeff? Like Cher? Okay. Truthfully? Yes, maybe we should just <laughs> drop the last name. Like maybe that should be, you know, I know that you already have um, your, you know, your freelancing agency and your product business, Jep, but I think you should rename all of it. Just Jep. To just Jep. Well, Jep.com, that sounds think? pretty cool, right? Jep.com. Cool. I bet it's taken. Do you own Jep.com? No, I don't. No, yeah. Three letters, guaranteed it's taken. But we could do Jep.com dot com you know like salesforce.com <laughs> jdc job.com there you go there, there you go so jeff we how do you pronounce your last name the uh, castelline castelline okay so i would have nailed it unfortunately for me <laughs> made a big awkward stink for nothing um but we are thrilled to have you on the podcast do you know how much people love you no never heard about Do you this, know this about no. yourself that this can't be true sydney jeb somebody tell him jeb you've seen the memes about yourself right no what tell have me. you seen the meme of of you and sandy carrying adobe up the hill um, and you and Sandy arm wrestling? I I don't recall. No, so you gotta <laughs> immediately. This is my favorite thing here. about Jeff. <laughs> this is my favorite thing about Jeff because Jeff is actually one of the smartest people I've ever worked with. But I don't know that you always know that that's true about yourself, or at least that other people know that that's true about you. Yeah. No. Who made the Two... memes? Mopsmemes.com. Oh wow. <laughs> the last time I tried to share this uh, share this meme and talk about it on the podcast, it stopped like recording everything. So I'm a little bit nervous to do it again. Uh, but maybe anyway, we will show it to you later. So you are a superstar. You're very famous. Um, this is like I don't know what to compare it to, but people love you. You have a fan club. Mm-hmm. It's me and I Lauren. It's me. Some other people too. We run it. We have tattoos of Jep.com on our wrist just so that we know where to go. Um, but we are incredibly lucky that you have recently, well, semi-recently joined the Emmy team. And are, yeah. I mean, actually, he's probably a founding father. Basically. You don't even know it. <clears throat> 
at me. Um, but how did you like, how did you decide to do freelancing? Like, I'm sure that there's a long story about how, you know, you were at Marketo for a long time. Um, what made you decide to like leave corporate and go on your own? Yeah. So I'd been at Marketo. So I joined Marketo in 2010 and I'd been at Marketo for like eight, eight and a half years. And like in the beginning, it was just like a small company, maybe 80 people. And then oh, wow. it had grown and we went IPO, then taken private by Fista Equity, then acquired by Adobe. And I was lucky enough to be involved in the implementation of Marketo at Adobe. And Adobe. You're on the Marketo squad. I didn't know that. Yeah. And that's also where, uh, you know, where I worked with people like Paul Wilson, who was at Marketo at the time. So that was, it was a great team. Also, the Adobe folks were awesome to work with. But it really felt like, you know, one of those like bigger clients, like, you know, Fortune 500 companies that I used to consult for. And now the difference was it wasn't the clients. It was the company I worked at. So it was very different mm. to work for a five, Fortune 500 company versus working for a startup. And that's something like, oh, you know, I need something more exciting. Some people say about Adobe, you know, a lot of people, they work there till they retire because it's such a co good company to work for. And it's true. But I wasn't really ready to accept that I was going to retire at Adobe. So um, got plenty of life left to live. I'm not going to die yes. here. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm too young for Adobe. Yes. Why are we talking about retirement? Yes. Um, <laughs> I heard so, so your company. Yeah. So then I left Adobe and um, uh, it took some time to figure out what I wanted to do, do some consulting, do some, you know, product exploration where I wanted to do a startup or something like that. And uh, that sort of turned into being a full-time consultant. And uh, yeah, that was, that was, that's been fun for, what is it like over four years now? So you're at Marketo for, you said eight and a half years, right? Something like that. Yeah. I'm sure you're role evolved quite a lot while you were there but my understanding is that you were like you know how marketo works more than anyone because you kind of helped them build it is that right well build it probably not but yes i was able to work with the most senior people in the support team with engineers to really understand how stuff works and um the customers i worked with they always wanted impossible stuff and then I was sent in to figure out, can we still do it? Or how much of it can we do it? And um, so it was a lot of like perseverance as in just trying to figure out, you know, can we do this? How could we do this? Can we push the boundaries a little bit? And I definitely pushed the boundaries a couple of times where, you know, maybe we did something with the product that wasn't really supposed to. Um, <laughs> uh, maybe one of the things that I- Are you like under NDAs I... or can you like tell us something really crazy? That well, there's a couple of things that I probably shouldn't tell, but like one example <laughs> is I, I was one of the first. Just don't say the client name. You'll no, be fine. That, 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 so... There was someone who. So, so one of the things I pioneered was using segmentations when they were just launched for dynamic content as a way to 
essentially just segment your database, not for dynamic content and emails, but just to have, for example, marketable people and non-marketable people, which was a great idea initially until you start getting to scale. And I think in our most recent project, we experienced that, that segmentations, they have a cost because they're running in the background. So if you have too many active segmentations, then that actually slows down your entire instance. So, you know, that was one of the areas where, you know, I thought, oh, this is the best idea ever. And in hindsight, maybe not such a great idea for bigger Marketo instances. But, you know. So this is something, you know, I think like we ran into with one of our clients at Emmy, the three of us recently. And I have 11 years experience in Marketo. Sydney, how many, how many do you have? Nine. Nine. Okay, so between Sydney and I, we have 20 years of experience with Marketo. And having Jeff on our team, like, we still learn something new. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite day. thing about working with Jeff on a client. Or also, I do this with clients that Jeff is not working on. They just ask them questions. There's, like, there are things that I'm like, I wonder if this is how this works. And instead of spending an hour searching through community answers or half of them are wrong, uh, I just ask Jeff. And Jeff pretty much always answer right, right away <laughs> he's like i already pushed that boundary yeah. i already tested that i already yeah. tried the hard thing but i mean just what he mentioned like when we found out that that anytime anytime there's like, a data value change that is referenced in the segmentation even if it does not result in a change in the segmentation the segment change still has to be evaluated so if you're doing Which something problematic like for a database, if though. you have a segmentation in a database of 3 million people and it references a field that's updated every single day, even if the resulting change in that field does not result in a segment change, all the people who had that field updated will have to be processed as if they would have a segment change. And, you know, I learned that. And then we took down that segmentation and we all lived happily ever after. Uh, <laughs> that last part is a little wishy-washy, the happily ever after. But I do think we're happier. There. Happier. Much happier ever after. Yeah. So that is that, like you said, one of it's like, you know, the benefits, Jeff, of just being your friend. <laughs> All right. So you, it sounds like you, um, you know, you left Adobe and then you almost accidentally kind of fell into freelancing, like took on a project or two and then didn't realize how easy it would be to keep taking on projects because everyone loves you and you still don't really realize how much everyone loves you. Is that pretty accurate? Yeah, so I've been lucky with uh, getting some really interesting projects. It's usually a couple of bigger projects that run for a longer time and then a couple of smaller projects that, uh, uh, you know, fill the gaps in the schedule. So... So yeah, it's it's been interesting and um, seeing you know lots of you know interesting projects and um, I've also been able to you know develop some products that people can use like Data Keto is one of those like just a free tool to download um, Marketo assets um, and uh, you can also get like um, API um, bulk API data. Uh, without talking to the API. So it's sort of a, you know, an, um, simple yeah, user like cool interface to on top of the, of the UI. The, yeah. yeah, it's like a cool way to get access to some of the like bulk data that you really need the API to access without having to be someone who knows how to use the API. It's perfect yeah. for someone yeah. like me who 
does not know how to use the API, but I do in concept know some things that I could do if I did know how to use the API. So yeah. it's great. And, and I think that's really um, what I find interesting is, you know, to, because I love working with marketers, worked in marketing related roles pretty much all my career. Um, but I also understand the technology and it's really nice to be able to uh, make that technology accessible to marketing teams. And in the beginning, that may have been, you know, the API, more specifically for Marketo, did a lot of work around the Salesforce sync with Marketo. And now uh, I see, you know, of course, AI is the big trend, but the trend that's been going on for a longer time is the modern data stack that people, that companies are using data warehouses a lot more. Now, mention a data warehouse to a marketer and they have something like, ooh, that's techy stuff. But how can you make that more accessible so that marketers yeah. can actually uh, benefit from that modern data stack, as it's, as it's called, by having more data, better data to run their campaigns? Yeah. And you and I had a conversation about this recently, and I actually had the same conversation with Sandy, um, Sanford Whiteman. <clears throat> he lives in New York and he comes to, the, he's a co-leader of the New York Mac with me and Inga Romana. Uh, but I was talking to him and I was like, how would you describe your job? Like, are you a data scientist? Are you a developer? Are you a marketing operations developer or something else? I think you and I have the same thing. And I think what you said was data engineer. Is that yeah, accurate, that, what you said? Yeah. Uh, well, data engineer also has a specific meaning in um, uh, sort of the, 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 the big data world, uh, as in that you develop processes to convert, to transform, to bring in data and convert data. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what you'd call it, but, you know, marketing data engineer, something like that. Uh, because a lot of data engineers, they work for analysts and analysts run reports. And what we want, want as marketers is not just run reports. I mean, it's one part of the, um, uh, the story, but we also want to use that data to run campaigns, data activation. So data activation gets a lot less attention, or at least definitely in the B2B worlds. I think in the, the B2C world, they're a little ahead of us with, you know, using very large data sets to run their campaigns because B2C by definition is, you know, larger data sets. But in B2B, um, data activation is really something that um, could use some more attention. I feel like, you know, this is something that marketers have been chasing for 10 years, like since we've been doing this. We're, data activation is always like one or two steps behind data collection. And there's like such a... I don't know. I feel like there's like such a pool between that. Like what products do we need? What campaigns can we run? Or like the development of the data collection was like just a little bit off as to where we can't quite use it because it's stored here. It wouldn't have been nice if it was in a, its own custom object or like somewhere that Marketo could have reached at. Um, I don't know. Are we I'm never going to get there? I feel like we're just yeah. chasing <laughs> Well, I've also been part thing. of some projects where uh, people tried to stop all their data into Marketo. And there were two particular projects that I recall, one for a pharmaceutical company that wanted to push like a whole bunch of product data into Marketo. And another one, it's a, a sort of a, a more advertising company, let's call it like this. 
um, they essentially just max out all the APIs to, to push the data into Marketo. And then as a result, of course, Marketo didn't really perform anymore. Um, and mm -hmm. also, you know, it was really hard to, it was still hard to select the right audiences in Marketo because custom objects seem to have been implemented as sort of an afterthought. So um, it, it, it really wasn't, still wasn't there. The, 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 the solution still wasn't there. And they, well, I don't know the pharmaceutical company, I lost touch with them, but the other company, they are moving towards having that data in their data warehouse and having sort of a smart list builder in Marketo terminology on top of the data warehouse for these really complicated queries. And then they push that to a list in Marketo and then send the email. That's so rather than try to stuff all the data, push all the data over, it really is data warehouse oriented. And the data warehouse, the downside is, is that it, it is more technical. Now this smart list builder is, you know, simpler, but it's still a little bit more complicated than what you would do in Marketo. Uh, because you have all these relationships between the different um, tables in the database. And there's also yeah. prep work yeah, that needs to be done. To be built. Because you, you yeah. don't directly work on the source tables. You need to sort of build curated tables so that it's easy for marketers to work on. But I think that's the way forward. Yeah, I mean, free advice for everyone listening. There are limits to Marketo. There yeah. are limits to Salesforce. Do not integrate Sixth Sense straight into Salesforce and create unleash every, every update every day yeah. right into Salesforce. Go for it. It will break your sync. It will break all of yes. your sync. Salesforce done. Marketo, 21 days behind on updates. Yeah. I think that's the other part. People, for a while, maybe they sometimes they try to push all the data into Marketo and then other people have taken the path of, oh, let's push all the data into Salesforce. And then we'll sync it to Marketo. Yes, that doesn't work either. Then you just choke the sync and you have all worse. this data in Marketo that, oh, sorry, you have all this data in Salesforce that is really not being used in Salesforce. It's just there because you try to channel it into Marketo. And that's really where the data warehouse comes in. And by the way, if I say data warehouse, it could also be a CDP. They have similar functionality. Um, but the goal is essentially to store the data in uh, a data warehouse where that is designed to store massive amounts of data with more uh, complex data structures. And Marketo is not uh, designed for that. Salesforce is not designed for that, et cetera. So, Jeff, you really found yourself today here in, in this era working in this scenario, right? Like a lot of integrations between systems and between data lakes and all of the other areas where marketers can combine data. Do you feel like this was con conscious choices for you to find yourself in this area? Is this where you like to be? Like, you know, three years ago, five years ago, would you have looked ahead and been like, wow, that's awesome. Or is it more, is it a strategic move for your career to take on those kinds of projects? Is it what you like doing? Like, how did you, how did you get here? And are you yeah. Like, I guess, are you happy to be there? So <laughs> it sort of evolved that at some point in time, it was probably about a year and a half back, I, I looked at my projects and I realized, I think a question came up about the native Salesforce sync. I thought, oh, I'll just log into one of my client's instances and check. And then I realized I had no client. 
with a native Salesforce sync. Oh, that's wow. because they all were doing custom integrations. So I thought like, oh, hey, that's interesting. And a lot of them had data warehouses. Maybe I need to emphasize this a little bit more. And I've also seen the trend that, as I mentioned, Salesforce, you know, it used to be like, oh, we stuff it in Salesforce and we sync it over. And that, that trend changed a little bit. Say, okay, Salesforce is still very good, but use it for salespeople, for customer support people, and don't use it as a data warehouse. So okay. Salesforce was sort of, for a lot of bigger and more technically sophisticated Marketo customers, Salesforce is still important, but it's not the first thing you connect to Marketo. The first thing you connect to Marketo is the data warehouse, because that's where, that's sort of the system of record on your prospects and customers, not Salesforce. Yeah. Salesforce is one of the sort of satellite systems that uses that data to help the sales teams and customer facing people to interact with clients and prospects. I mean, I guarantee that there are still people and Cindy, I don't know, like on the Marketo side of things, you know, we've always, I've always at least felt like second class to the Salesforce team. Yeah. Like Salesforce is where, and I forget who it is. I'll have to look them up. I remember years ago, they made the joke like, marketing automation's number one problem was that it was named marketing. Mm -hmm. Like marketing <laughs> never gets budget. Marketing's always the first to get cut. And sales force, you know, has the word sales in it. Of course, sales is going to get budget. But, you know, it's always been like, okay, do what you want in Marketo, but Salesforce is the system of record. We've heard that over and over again that, you know, you know, you can delete bad stuff out of Marketo, but Salesforce is the system of record. We're going to keep things there. Or uh, if the data conflicts, Salesforce is a system of record. And so for the mindset to kind of shift away from that, to say like, oh, it's a UI, it's a, you know, it is a place where we can collect data and do a lot of great things. But I don't know who's, whose heart we're going to break here, Jeff, that Salesforce is not Rip. Sorry, Salesforce. system of record. Okay. I think yeah. we have gotten so technical so fast that this episode is going to be business pretty funny because we went business first and what i really want we all know that jeff is smart obviously jeff is smart if you listen to the last 20 minutes of this podcast you know if you listen to the first 45 seconds of this podcast you know jeff is super smart you know who jeff the person is so i think that we should start because once upon a time lauren and i asked you this and you said there was a story that you would tell us sometime and that day is here what is jeff short for because sometimes we call you Jepperoni, and you probably hate that. Um, but I've loved the actual answer. But it rhymes with well, pepperoni. Well, it makes you think so. of riceroni and the, the, the ad on uh, the cable cars. Well, no, we're thinking of... Well, you are in San Francisco. <laughs> pepperoni. That's yeah, no, I didn't, I didn't think of that. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I grew up in the Netherlands. And the Netherlands being a tiny country, there's still part of the Netherlands in the north where they, where they have their own language and their own culture and of course, um, uh, fr uh, uh, Friesland. And these people are very, um, sort of, you know, uh, uh, they, they are very proud of their local culture. And one of the things that they've developed there as a sport was, um, and in English, you call it ditch vaulting. So they take, a, so it's, it's like the Netherlands, a lot of it is below sea level. And so you have patches of land for farmers, and then you have canals in between for, uh, to manage the, the level of the water. But now they had a challenge. They needed to get to their lands, but there was this ditch, this canal. 
So they had to jump across the canal in order to get to their land. So they had this big pole and they would pole vault. They put the pole in the water and they run, they stick the pole in the water and then they have enough like speed, hopefully, that it swings them to the other side of the canal onto the pit patch of land that they need to go to. And that turned into a sports ditch vaulting or in, as they call it in their local language, feral yepin. So, well, that's where it comes from. Feral yepin? Yepin, yeah. So is yep, that's how it's really pronounced. That's how you pronounce it in the Netherlands. But yeah, I can't really do that in here in English speaking countries because people say yep for yes and then drive me nuts. Um, that makes sense. Wow. That was, um... well, well, yep. Yep.com might be available. <laughs> I think it's still spelled with a J is the point. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Oh, so you okay, were... so it's, so Yepin, Yepin is, is, is the well, longer name? Well, I think it's just more inspired by it. I don't think it's technically um, uh-huh. derived from it. Interesting. Yep. Fun fact, um, pole vaulting gold medalist from America was from my small town of Olmstead Falls. Wow. What was that, last year or two years ago? Wow. Way to go. Way to go, Olmstead Falls. Olmstead Falls, Ohio. Um, okay, well, that's great. So you moved from the Netherlands. You live in the Bay Area now. You have a family. Tell us about them. Uh, yeah, so I moved to San Francisco for work uh, back in like 2005 or so. And, uh, yeah, met my wife there, stuck around, and with a brief sort of one-year excursion in North Carolina and a one-year in... Wait, Bur- you lived in North Carolina? I did, yes. Where? When? In in Durham in, in 2009. Um, what? You know, I'm from North Carolina. Together. I did not know that, no. Yeah, I uh, I was born and raised in Charlotte, and I did live in Raleigh. I, we didn't live in Durham. Uh, I lived in Raleigh for three years, but it was I was after you already left. I was there from twenty fifteen to twenty eighteen, and then I moved to New York. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, had no idea. Brief little interlude in North Carolina. How exciting! And um, and then moved to Berkeley, also in the Bay Area, and then back to San Francisco. And um, yeah, so um, despite all the bad news about San Francisco, it's a great town uh, to live. It's a little bit expensive, but uh, it's great to live here. Um, yeah, with the family, two kids. So, yeah. Durham to Berkeley feels like they're not that different. Is that accurate? No. I feel like Durham is the Berkeley of North Carolina. Well, but then you start with the base level of North Carolina versus the base level of California. So uh... yeah, it's very different. That's why it has to be the Berkeley of North Carolina, not just the same as Berkeley. <laughs> yeah, I like say like Asheville. Did you ever been, have you ever been to Asheville, North Carolina? I have. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably yeah. more I like Berkeley. Asheville. Yeah. Oh, really? I was like to say Asheville is the Portland of North Carolina. No, but true. if you're working from the North Carolina baseline, it's the Portland. <laughs> yeah. Not from the Oregon base. <laughs> oh, anyway, okay. How old are your kids? They're uh, five and twelve. Cute. Okay, and uh, this is an audio podcast, not a video podcast, as we covered earlier. But I do know because I'm looking at you right now because we're on many client calls together that you have all of your daughter's swimming ribbons behind you. Is that right? Yeah. Well, it's partly also because uh, you know, 
uh, housing is expensive, so uh, we um, her bedroom is my office. So, uh, yes. Listen, bro, uh, my office is my children's playroom. I live in New York City, so I, I feel you. <laughs> That's why I have to have my background blurred so no one sees the piles of Legos behind me. Yes. Yes. Um, so, yeah, she likes to she likes to swim and get ribbons at uh, meet. So, nice. yeah. Good for her. Um, what does your wife do? Oh, she's at home. She stays at home with me? Oh, that's nice. Yeah. But her office is just not the bedroom. Her office? When I found out that my my when I found out that my husband was going to be working from home at the same time that I was, like pre COVID, I was like, No. No, I work from home. What do you mean? We can't work from <laughs> this is my space. Yeah, my husband You get into your routines, you know. Other people kind of Time. Yeah, my husband's office is yeah. in our bedroom, and then my office is in the kids' playroom, and that leaves about half the square footage of our already small apartment available for the children and their nanny during the day. No, that's hey, that's tough to like cross path. That's tough. Yeah. What's it like? I wanted to ask you this question, Jeff, because you know women get this question. But what's it like being a working dad? Uh, well, working from home makes it a lot nicer than uh, sort of the old sessions, mm -hmm. uh, you know, being at work and driving to work at seven in the morning and being back at um, six or seven o'clock. Totally. So. Do you have to do drop-offs or anything? Do they go to school? Uh, Don't tell me that also they're homeschooled. Like everyone's that, just No, luckily day. not. That would be tough to get work done here. Um Close quarters. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so yeah, I used to do uh, drop offs for and pickups for my daughter, but the school is like two blocks away, so that was easy. Oh, yeah. that's awesome. Well, that's benefits of living in a city yeah. for sure. Yeah, we can pretty much walk or or bike, yeah. or if you're lazy, we take the car. But... Love it. All right. Well, that's great. Um, okay, and then you decided to come work. With Ibby, uh, obviously you have. Yeah, I don't know if he decided. Like, I don't know if that was a decision as much as you I were nominated. Yeah, a decision. So, and I don't know if he. Maybe I did tell you this when we first talked. But so the client. So there's one client. Um, we're working on being able to say their name eventually one day. Um, that we are one day. Yeah, that we are all working on together. That, um, like really lined up well for when you had put a post on LinkedIn, like. I happened to have a little bit of bandwidth and this client and I were already having discussions about like getting someone like you on the account. Um, and so you and I had conversations about like potentially, you know, signing, like coming on board with our team. So we've said before, Emmy Collective is basically a group of freelancers, but sometimes we build fractional teams with them. Um, so Jeff is on one of our fractional teams and, um, after you and I had already had the discussion, this person sent me your LinkedIn profile was like, I'm going to I'm going to hire this guy. I'm going to hire him like he's going to come work for my company. And I was like, OK, well, this is the exact person I want you to know that uh, that I have for our fractional team. I said, but I don't think he will come work for you. But <laughs> you can try. Go, you, you can try. He seems said, pretty OK try. doing his thing. <laughs> um, so that was really cool the way that that aligned and they were like thrilled that you were able to join but 
So that's that's the precursor to you know working with us. But I'm but Sydney, I know you. I almost called you Emmy. That's how much we uh are really you know um the brand is mm-hmm. us. Um, you and Jeff have worked together even more so. So I'll let you go run with this question so that yes, uh, it makes more sense. Okay. Well, uh, you know we've been working on Squiet together for a long time now. Uh, and I know that you do a lot of work on your own too, as many of our consultants do. What's it like working with Emmy? Is it weird? Is it more fun? Is it less fun? Is it a liability, would you say, to your personal brand? No, I, I mean, I like it. Uh, I think question. first of all, how, how it started, it was, it was a really good match. It was a project that, um, made a lot of sense, I think for both of us. So I think that was great because. Working together, if you have a project that, that just works, is a, the best way to get started. And it's nice, you know, I feel like other than, you know, sub, most other subcontracting jobs, it's nice to feel like being part of a team um, and being a little bit part of the company that hires you uh, versus, um, uh, you know, I've done some other subcontracting. It's just like you have a job to do and this is the money you get for it and that's it. You know what I mean? So, um, if it, it feels a little bit more like a collective collective and I thought the name collective was pretty cool. Um, but it's not just the name. I think it's, you know, it's true. That's nice. This is the nicest things anyone's ever said about us, Jeff. Can we we quote you on the website? Thank you, Jeff. (laughs) Uh, I'm crying. Um, okay. Well, that's really nice, Jeff. We love working with you. And, you know, our personal goal is to always make sure that we have some sort of work available for you so that you can never leave us. Keep keep the interesting projects flowing for Jeff. So he is available when we need him. (laughs) We're like, Jeff, do you have any technical work? Do you want to do some copywriting? Do you want to fix our website? I don't know. Uh, all right. I want to go back to your time at Marketo a little bit, or maybe not. I don't know. We'll see what's what's the most relevant. But were you uh, allowed to go to the Marketo conference back in the day? Did they say, I know that there's like a, you know, not all the employees get to go. Who does get to go? Who knows? Were you one of the people that got to well, go? Well, early days, yes. Uh, later days, no. Uh, the only way you were able to no. go. When was the last time you went? I don't even recall. Uh, yeah, well, one year there was an exception because there was one time that it was in Vegas that we were all allowed to go. That was in one yeah, of the yeah, last yeah. years, actually. Before that, we weren't allowed to go unless you had a customer, one of your clients, you worked with one of your clients to present a customer case that was accepted as a, a presentation for the conference. But yeah, no, otherwise it was just like, you know, um, you had certain billability goals and so it wasn't um good to be away at a conference because you were you know billable someone's got to pay for this conference yeah. everyone but, um, but I think okay also, well it's interesting that the that vegas year i think in the early days it, it, it was sort of all hands on deck to you know run that conference yeah. so everyone just Skip went the event there put on except for some support people who needed to stay behind for urgent issues um Right. And later on, there were so many people whose job it was to run the conference that they didn't really need extra employees to to help out. So it it does sort of make sense yeah, no for bigger for bigger standing companies. Standing at the yeah. tables, handing out brochures. 
Um, it's interesting that you bring up that that one random Vegas year because I would say that almost everyone that we have had on the podcast and asked this question to brings up that Vegas year as one of the funniest or best stories from a conference. So do you have a good story either from that year or any year? But that year seems to have spawned particularly interesting, fun, funny conference stories. I think it was very shortly before I left the company. So I think I was a little checked out already. So (laughs) (laughs) you didn't go to the parties? You know, that was the year with like the Will Smith. Yeah. So Jeff Jeff was like, Jeff was like playing video games in his hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Meanwhile, all the customers are getting blackout drunk at the Will Smith party. That's great. Well, (laughs) you enjoyed yourself. Where's Jeff? Everyone has questions. He's like, no, goodbye. I was very invisible at that conference. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, do you have any conference stories of any conference at all? Or is that just like not really your speed? Well, not Marketo conference stories. Um, Doesn't have to be Marketo, anything. But before that, another company that was like a bootstrap startup. So... um, we had to be really cheap. So we went, I think, to a Gartner conference in like Nashville. And we wanted to get some extra promo done. You know how it goes with Gartner. They have like packages for everything, $10,000 this, $20,000 that, but you couldn't really afford that. So we realized probably most of the hotel is at the conference. So why don't we just print some flyers and put them underneath the doors in the hallways? And then, yeah, security was sent after us. And yeah, we, we had to go to the oh security office. <laughs> and it was very close or we would have been kicked out of the, of the hotel. <laughs> That's and, uh, was it worth it? Did you get any ROI? I was really ready to be like, this is a great <laughs> idea. <laughs> this is exactly what's going to get us kicked uh, out of Mopsapalooza is Lauren yeah. doing things like this. I, I, I think the official word is always that, that the conference organizers don't like it. But then I think, you know, there must have been some who appreciated the creativity. Um, whether it worked, I don't know. You know, it's, 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 it's hard to measure the impact of that type of, uh, those type of uh, guerrilla actions. But the company's doing really well. And uh, it's a very successful uh, company now. At that time, we were struggling, but now uh, it's like a billion-dollar company. So, wow! Well, hey, I would yeah. say it worked. The guerrilla marketing that works was a marketing. Out. Um, Listen, that yes. was a marketing influence. That the, was a touch point. A touch. That was a visible touch point put in the UTM. That is the most UTM illegal hotel flyer campaign. <laughs> Zero dollars, five dollars for printing. That is the best ROI I've seen. Five dollars to a billion dollars. Um, it's really funny that you said guerrilla marketing because uh, I saw this post on LinkedIn recently about guerrilla marketing. It was at what was the conference that happened like two weeks ago? Was it Forrester? I think it was Forrester. I don't remember, but um, Demand Base and Six Sense were both there, and Demand Base had some had rented out like a space right across from the conference to do something. I don't know. They're like trying to funnel people over to their space from the conference. And Six Cents parked a truck in front of it with their logo on it. And I thought that was kind of hilarious. Um, but there was a conversation about guerrilla marketing and, you know, is this like, does this make Six Cents look good or does it make them look bad? Is this like shady or is this creative? Um, but everyone in the comments was calling it 
gorilla marketing. Oh, gorilla, like, like the go- animal. Like, <laughs> like a monkey. <laughs> Very seriously. And it was like one person started with gorilla and then no one corrected them. And we were all just doing gorilla. And I, I finally came in and said something kind of sassy, which yeah. no one appreciated, I'm sure. But it is not gorilla like the monkey. This is your pretty funny business grammar PSA. Yeah. It is spelled differently. But Lauren and I were which talking about the... Typically, typically, you should not take grammar tips from us but at that time i was right and you know what i actually googled it to make sure i was right before i commented but uh lauren and i were talking about doing some gorilla marketing at props and pollution with actual gorillas and then like making friendship bracelets that had gorilla beads on them and passing them i also thought we could make a best friend for um the stencil sloth oh yeah just a gorilla stuffed gorillas Yes. But then we have to just like leave them places. That's how it's gorilla. <laughs> just like put them in people's bags well, like, as they them. walk by. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So as you can see, the Mopsapalooza marketing strategy is going really well. Looking forward to the event. Get, get a ton of ROI from this. Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, Where can we get free, free gorillas? Free, free, anyway. free gorillas for everyone. Um, okay, Jeff. You worked for Marketo for a really long time. You've been consulting for a long time now. A million people know you out there. Who are the top two or three people that you would love to work with again? Can be former coworkers, colleagues, can be former clients, can be other consultants you've worked with. And we will just say present company excluded because I know you would always love to work with me. Yeah, yeah I think there's tons of people... Like most recently, of course, I've worked at Marketo for such a long time. So there's, I mean, there's tons of people there that uh, were great to work with. And that's why I stayed for such a long time. I think um, one of the people that I always remember best working with, he wasn't like my, um, how do you say, direct coworker, but I always enjoyed working with Glenn Lipka, who was sort of the Mr. Marketo. He was really the person who, um, how do you say, um, Designed the philosophy design the behind system, Marketo. Right? Yeah. So how how does Marketo look and work? And after he left, I think, you know, the, a lot of the features were more um, like developed in an isolated way. He was always the person who made sure there was this unified vision. Um, we always had good discussions, definitely also some heated discussions where we totally disagreed, but it was always fun to have those discussions. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think he, he did great stuff for Marketo and, uh, made it, uh, played a big part in making Marketo a success. So, yeah. Um, going to school. I, I did have a call with him one time, a long, long time ago, um, but he is really, really smart. He, did he go to Engagia? Was he one of the people that started Engagia? He did work there, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. All right, Glenn. Glenn and I have the same birthday. She. Look at that. <laughs> a, a star. An astrological. That's what connection. I have to say about Glenn. Great. Yeah. Uh, okay. Anyone other than Glenn? No, he's probably the, the main one that I that I think of. Uh, but I mean, there's a lot of you know people, obviously. But so many I just people. wanted to call him out because I think he made a, a big impact on, yeah. on Marketo and the success of Marketo. Yeah, I totally agree. All right, next segment, 
is called Something You Want, Something You Need, Something to Wear, and Something to Read. And as you are also a parent of children, you may have heard of this before, but this is like a thing that the internet tells you to use as a template for buying your children gifts for various holidays to make sure you don't go overboard or underboard. I always go overboard. I say, I'm going to do this, and then I buy them a million gifts anyway. Um, so I'd love to hear from you. Something you want, something you need, something to wear, something to read. Uh, the wear can be something you want to wear, something you are wearing, something you like to wear, something you read can be the same. Uh, and make sure your want is a want and not a need. And your need is a need and not a want. That's it. There well, you go. that's a difficult, difficult one, like differentiating between those two, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> what I'd want is some more time off. It's hard as an independent uh, consultant to take that time. Do I need it? Well, I've survived for four years with not an awful lot of time off. So that's why I'd say I'd want it. Apparently, I don't need it, but I'd want it anyways. Um, yeah, what do I need? Um, well, I think one of the, if I look back at um, the time at Marketo and what I'm most proud of is that Towards the end of my last couple of years at Marketo, I built a couple of tools, including AutoMerge and the Data Transfer Hub. And it's pretty cool to see that sometimes I have clients now that use those tools. And I think like, oh, that's cool. I created that. So it sort of outlives your time at Marketo. I mean, my consulting services, you're gone in the project. You know, you're out of the project. But those products live on uh, and continue to add value to um, 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 to to companies, but I'd love to. So what I really need and what I'd love to do is in addition to my consulting, to have a product that has staying power and build a product, sell a product. So um, yeah, that's what I'm working hard on. So it's going to, it's going to get there, but there may be a couple of like, you know, tests and uh, flops before I find that product that's going to be valuable to lots of people. (laughs) I love it. If anyone can do that, you can do that. Um, yeah, so all right, something, something to, wear, to wear, something to well, read. I dress a little bit like a tech bro, like polo shirt and jeans. So, um, um, well, if I splurge on some stuff, it's always the shoes. So, the last thing I bought was like very, oh, I like shoes. this about you. The last fancy Shut shoes it. I bought That's were surprising. like western, you know, western boots, like cowboy boots. But like nice ones. So uh I am so surprised to receive this information. Cowboy boots, not what I've not what I would have pegged you for. I know. I thought you were gonna be like you're like a Nike dunks guy. Yeah, I thought we were going like elite sneakers. Yeah, but cowboy no, boots. I'm, All right. I'm, I'm, I'm here really for it. what are these popular like tech bro sneakers called? The washable ones. Um Oh, Alberts? Something like that. Albert. Yeah. Uh, Is that those there's yeah. some that you see too much here, so I try to be a little bit different yeah. from what you see on the on the streets uh, here. <laughs> you can it. take the guy out of the Netherlands. Yeah, <laughs> she ain't taking your all birds back to the Netherlands. Uh, all right, something to read. Um, yeah, so I've been reading a book on data engineering, a little techy, but you know. Need to stay up to date. Um, yeah, learn new stuff continuously, right? All right. What's it called? It, What's it called? Called 
I'm really bad about titles, book titles, movie titles, etc. That's okay. Um, but it's from a guy called Joe Rice. He's a dead engineer and he wrote a great book on it. So I think it, it, it has data engineering in the title, but I don't know the exact title. I um I don't think I've ever read an entire book for work, ever. I did read that one book with the unicorn on the cover about the guy that worked at HubSpot and thought it was terrible, but that's pretty much it. So I commend you, Jeff, that in your personal time, you are just furthering your education instead of reading trashy beach novels like me. <laughs> um. Okay. Last Jeff, segment. Jeff, do your do your kids do your kids know what you do? Like if you were to ask them what you do, I what don't would they think so. Answer? Really, no, no. Something with computers. What do you think they would say? Something with computers. And maybe the older one will say something about like you know email marketing or so. But yeah, no. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> Okay, last segment is called PFB on the Streets. Lauren, you wrote topics for this, right? I do. I have three topics. I don't, so we won't go too hard on you, Jeff. We'll give you a little bit of a break. Um, but so what I'll do, what we do in this segment is I will lay down a topic and you, first thing that comes to your mind, just give the opinion on that. Um, so without further ado, Marketo Purple. Yeah, I still want to buy a purple sports car. So yeah, don't have the money for it. But... Oh, purple sports so car. Uh, I like this about you too. Okay, okay. You know, someone um, who shall not be named recently made a little bit of a comment on how pink are um, Emmy branding and the collective branding is, and. First of all, Sydney's comment was, well, yeah, it's kind of on purpose because we just kind of like to do things a little bit different just for the fun of it, just to like be rebellious. But then I started thinking like it's not that different than Marketo being always purple. From purple. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, all right. Yeah, I love that Jeff's here for it. I, I, you know, I did feel like as Adobe has taken over with the red, like I was a little bit like. Yeah, it's kind of a bummer. Ooh. It's kind of a bummer. I they were always going to get rid okay. of the purple, but it's kind of a bummer. All right. Uh, Vista Equity Partners. I think they've done a good job. They definitely made some good money. On yeah, what what else do you want to say? Like four billion dollars. Yeah. Um, I feel like people that have worked for a Vista company usually have an opinion about working for a Vista company, but I would also understand if you would not want to say that on a recording. Um, I don't. I mean, they know the tricks to improve the financials, and uh, they're not like one of these yeah. um, private equity companies that will fire half the company in order to save. I'm sure they save on personnel, but uh, they're at least for Marketo, as far as I could see, has been pretty um, um, uh, reasonable regarding, you know, keeping the existing staff happy and, and stuff like nice. that. Nice. But yeah, but obviously cool. they've done Love well, exceptionally it. well for, you know, so it's probably one of their success stories. 
Yeah, I can imagine. Sure. Didn't they sell it to Adobe for like four billion dollars? Yeah, they made a couple of billion. Yes, billion. they made a couple of billion in like a yeah, year, year and a half or so. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I think they made three billion. Jeff, did you make a billion no, on that deal? That would be Jeff? nice. Yeah. No Otherwise, I wouldn't. Oh, you think you would have bought your purple sports car? I would car. have a purple sports car in my <laughs> own office in my house. <laughs> Inside the house. <laughs> the people that made the billion from the Marketo sale are not working in their daughter's bedroom, probably. <laughs> no offense, Jeff. Oh. <laughs> All right. The last one is one of my favorite topics, purposeful duplicate. Um. Yeah, so I'm a little quiet here. Yeah, no. <laughs> just, just, Correct. Yeah. Just no. Just say no. Yes. And and uh, someone, another one of our podcast guests said, yeah. "Why? Why?" That was their answer. Was well, like, just don't well, do it. the the other part. If we it. talk about associations, the second thing I think of like partitions. No, that's sort of very close mm, to agreed. Uh, yeah. You know, I think Spicy. most people end up making purposeful duplicates as a result of having partitions. Correct. And I think one of the problems was that you can do purposeful duplicates with something called the custom dedupe rules. Well, that name is a misnomer. Oh, yes. Because it doesn't dedupe. It's a custom dupe rule. It creates extra duplicates. So, Yeah. <laughs> Redupe. It redupes. Custom redupe. Yeah. It's a redupe. Mm, it's so bad. Oh, man. man. Anyway, thanks, Jeff, for well, hanging with us today. Jepperoni. Yepperoni. <laughs> thanks for coming on the silly podcast. We really appreciate you and value your partnership and, you know, all the time that you save us by just answering questions with knowledge that exists in your brain. And we do not have to. Yeah. Well. Hey, you know, I save you some time now because I said that the podcast, you know, that I couldn't talk for an hour. And I think we've stayed under the hour. So this is the shortest, post shortest, shortest podcast ever. <laughs> You're right. We've got six minutes left. Cindy and I can keep going. You if you definitely wanted, can. I, I think, don't think uh, anyone wants that, though. <laughs> okay. So Especially let's wrap not up Tim. Because He's otherwise, like, we still go over short the hour. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Right, right, right. Tim says wrap it up. All right. Well, thank you again, Jeff, for joining us today. Good luck out there, little podcast. Bye. Like and subscribe. Share. Tell everyone.